Amen. I hope it's a testimony of, of your heart and your lips today that uh, as we just sang with unfaltering lip, I call this Savior mine. I hope you have that confident confession this morning as we look into the things really that bring us that confidence. Uh, so I want to invite you to go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. And if you were with us last week, you know that we didn't finish the sermon. And today we're going to finish the sermon. So I'll just do one of those awkward pick up where we left off introductions. The title of the sermon last week and this week is Truth for Uncertainty. Truth for Uncertainty. We've arrived at these texts in the end of chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, and then in chapter 5 as we proceed regarding the return of Christ, regarding the, the coming of the Lord, and, and Paul unfolds wonderful comforts for us, encouragements for us to take hold of, believers, take hold of these comforts, and then not only that, we comfort one another, we encourage one another with these words as he instructs us. I want to invite you to read with me the word of God, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray once more. Father, we, we plead for your help again, and it's our, it's our pleasure to come to you, realizing that we are utterly dependent upon you. We're dependent on, on you for our salvation that has come through Christ, as we have just confessed in our singing the truth of the gospel we did not do anything to earn your favor or earn our salvation, but Christ did it all. And we simply acknowledge Jesus as Lord, surrendering our lives to him. And we have this, this treasure in Christ, beautiful treasure, the riches of heaven in him and him alone. And so we pray, Father, that as we open the word, our Heart's desire is to have Jesus for our own. We long for the day when we will be in his presence, glorified and perfected, when all the work that he sought to do has reached its final climax, the consummation of all things, and we will be together with one another and with him. 
So, Father, as we look into these words, I pray that the Spirit would grant us great encouragement to press on and the things that we have before us, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Truth for uncertainty. And to remind you of the theme, an informed faith in the risen Christ calms uncertainty about future events. An informed faith in the risen Christ calms uncertainty about future events. You recall that we gave a bit of background. I'll remind you that these believers in Thessalonica were uninformed, as he says right here. He, he knows that they have some concerns. What about these people who are dead that believe? Are they going to miss when Jesus returns? Are they going to be like just not here for that event? And he says, no, let me tell you what the word of God tells me. And so he delivered this word from the Lord. And you could understand how that would be a great comfort to these believers that are under persecution. They're under various pressures. And then they're wondering, wondering about those people who are potentially going to miss the return of Christ. He says, no, they're taken care of. And all the believers since then have understood through the word of God that these believers who have passed on, they will be taken care of. In fact, as he says, they're going to be taken care of first. And then it's our turn, those who are still alive. So an informed faith in the risen Christ calms uncertainty about future events. And we made it roughly halfway through our sermon last week with a few encouragements. First off, some encouragements concerning those saints asleep. First off, be informed, not ignorant. Be informed, not ignorant. We want to know what the truth is here, and Paul gives us that truth. Be informed, not ignorant. Be hopeful and not despairing. We don't grieve as others do, outsiders do. We grieve with the living hope of the gospel. So be informed, not ignorant. Be hopeful, not despairing. Thirdly, be in faith through the gospel. He says, since we believe, we have through this faith in Jesus Christ all the hope that he speaks of. And then fourthly, be comforted by the truth. Be comforted by the truth. God will take care of those who have passed on and believe we're grateful for that. Maybe that brings some comfort to you right now all over again as you think about those loved ones, those dear fellow church members, those saints that meant so much to you that have gone on to be with the Lord. We have all this confidence here, all this comfort, knowing that they will be taken care of. So concerning those, those saints asleep, we get those four encouragements. And then we moved into... Verse 15, concerning those saints alive, concerning those saints, saints alive, first off, we can take God at his word. And we finished talking about this. The most important thing is that we believe the words of scripture here. We take God at his word. This is the word of the Lord. So we don't want to exchange the word of God here for some um, popular uh, trend of man. Some growing teaching that came from the so-called wisdom of mankind. No, we want to take God at his word. And so we pick up here. Secondly, under this second group of encouragements, tailor your expectations. Tailor 
your expectations. So he says, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Ultimately, we know this is coming with the revelation of Jesus himself. So tailor your expectations. We must tailor our expectations according to what God has revealed in his word. And what we're stating here, what Paul is giving us here are the facts of the return of Christ. And we got to start with what is true. If you want to have encouragement and comfort, you've got to start with what is true. And God has revealed this to us. Those in Christ who are asleep will be raised and glorified. Those who are alive also will be taken up to be with the Lord, glorified in a physical body. These things bring us confidence. So we know the truth. We know it has been revealed. Then we got to be careful to keep a rein, keep a, keep a rein on the wandering mind. Go ahead and just abandon those, those best guesses, okay? I know, I know we like to think about all the little details of what's going to happen at Christ's return and, you know, what's going to happen when, when people come from the grave and, and we who are caught up. Like, what is that going to be like? And, and we, like to, we like to think about those things, but I'm just asking you, based on the Word of God, let's stick to what the Scripture has revealed for us to know. Let's not fantasize about our best guesses. Don't get carried off by our imaginations. Unfortunately, many believers have come to the understanding about the consummation of all things, not from the word of God, but through books and movies. They haven't surrendered their knowledge simply to the word of God. You know where this goes wrong so quickly? It was, it was kind of funny last week, and, and, and I'm not going to mention any names. I'm going to try to keep it gender neutral here. So um, we were talking last week after the sermon, and, and we're talking about those, those experiences we had when we were younger and hearing preaching and going to conferences or whatnot. And I know that some of y'all have been around those, uh, those, you've heard those sermons or you've been in the conference where uh, they, they go to the nth degree trying to, trying to really scare you with the return of Christ. And so somebody told me, they said last week, they had me so scared that my concern for the next weeks was, I just want to make sure I don't have dirty draws on when Jesus comes back. You see how this goes south very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you've experienced something like this. Like somebody used the return of Christ to uh, try to like uh, scare you. They, they laid on a burden of guilt before you even did anything. Like, like, hey, I really hope you're not committing sin when Jesus returns. And you're like, all of a sudden I feel guilty. I haven't even done anything yet. And so all these things that have risen from teachings on the return of Christ that do not help, that do not have a biblical foundation, we need to be careful that we are not going toward this, this foolish way of thinking or selfish in our expectations of what comes, that we run away with our ideas. Here's what we need to do. Take the word of God 
and dig deep to discover for yourself what God intends for you to know. And you got to admit along the way, hey, there are some things I simply do not know, and that's okay. There are simply some things that I I can't figure out, not going to be able to figure out because God does not speak on that particular thing, and I just don't know. What we need to do is dig into what he has revealed, listen to the spirit-empowered discernment when you hear the teaching of the word of God, including today. Trust the spirit to discern what is being said and does it align with the word of God. As John says in 1 John chapter 4, he says, test the spirits. When you hear any teaching, any teaching on the return of Christ or the end of all things, listen to his words. Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know what he goes on to talk about? Talks about that spirit of Antichrist, which he says, 1 John 4, 3, is now in the world already. Be careful. Be careful. So if your aim becomes something other than the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his glorious return, he is the revelation. Do you realize that? If you open up and study the book of Revelation, you're studying the revelation of Jesus Christ, not a revelation of a bunch of events. So if we don't focus our attention on the knowledge of Christ, I am convinced, saints, we will get it wrong. We must build our expectations around God's word, leaving what we do not know up to him. Tailor your expectations. Paul gives us what we need to know right here. He gives these Thessalonian believers what they need to know to comfort and encourage them, as he tells us is his goal. So we have these two encouragements concerning those saints alive, and I want to move into our third group of encouragements concerning the stunning event. The third group of encouragements concerning the stunning event, verses 16 to 18. So those details, those understandings that we have from studying the word, those things that are non-essential, we need to be careful about how tightly we hold on to those things. The whens and the wheres and the hows of the return of Christ, those are, honestly, those are the things that people like to argue about. That's not the purpose of the text. So we need not forget how these words ought to comfort and encourage. Here is our priority. Here is the great comfort that binds us together in hope. Christ himself, as Paul says, will return in full glory. And you know when he does, nothing else will matter to you. Nothing else will matter to you. I don't know that there are a a string of words that could be preached from a pulpit or written on a page that, that could come close to sufficiently describing what we will see in this stunning event. 
But Paul here, he keeps encouraging us. He keeps showing us what we need to know. So on this, I give you this encouragement. You have these tailored expectations. Now expect King Jesus' descent. Expect King Jesus' descent. Verse 16, for the Lord himself. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is our great expectation. Hear from our convention's confession on the, on the end of all things. It reads, God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end according to his promise Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised. Christ will judge all men in righteousness. This is the key. Personal, visible, physical, bodily return of Jesus Christ. (laughs) The glorified King Jesus Here's what else you need to know. Anybody who denies his bodily return, anybody who says, well, he doesn't actually have to come back. It's just, it's going to appear that way. Anybody who says that, you can tell immediately that's a false teacher. Anybody who denies the physical return of Jesus does not have fellowship with Christians. This is the key. This is the most important thing. And you notice here there are three accompanying sounds, as Paul gives us here, that confirm his glorious descent, the descent of our king. Patrick Schreiner points us to the other prophetic words to see the significance of these sounds. First, you notice that there is a command that is uh, really the cry of a victorious warrior. Wanamaker suggests that this cry may be Jesus' cry, about which he speaks in John chapter 5, 25, 28, and 29. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So you see Jesus' words bringing dead to life. Now, you're a beneficiary. The word of God went forth. The Holy Spirit applied that word in your heart. You understood the gospel, your own sin, and you were You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and now in Christ you are made alive, Ephesians 2. That's that spiritual reality. But then Jesus continues and said, hey, the hour is coming when they're going to hear my voice and the physically dead are going to come out the grave. It seems that that may be the cry of command here. Again, I'm not going to die on that hill. But it makes sense. There is this cry of command from a victorious warrior. Secondly, you notice there's a voice of an archangel. 
And that recalls a lot of Old Testament images where God is accompanied by angels and he's fighting on behalf of his people. Angels are frequently connected with eschatological judgment. We know from Zechariah 14, verses 3 and 5, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Verse 5, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So we have this cry of command. We have the voice of an archangel. And then thirdly, there is a trumpet call. The trumpet call throughout scripture is a sound of proclaimed victory, guaranteed victory. Also from Zechariah 9, 14, then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. All these things testify to the king descending. So when this happens, hopefully you know the word well enough. You'll be able to say, oh, yeah, I know exactly what's happening right now. And you'll be able to take it all in. This is what Paul tells us to encourage us. Expect King Jesus' descent. Secondly, enjoy his promise fulfilled. It says right there at the end of verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. So the coming victorious king's first order of business is concerning those whose bodies are in the grave. I I don't know how to, to communicate the 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 truth that's being communicated in the act that Paul is writing about here. The dead in Christ will rise first. Get this. Jesus reverses the curse of death. Jesus reverses the curse of death. As he underwent death, tasted death, as we know from Hebrews, through him, The body is no longer consigned to death, hopelessness, and condemnation ultimately, apart from faith in him. But through his resurrection, through his death and resurrection, he brings to life those who believe, not just spiritually, but physically. Like a bare kernel, as we heard, or a seed, Paul repeats the words, the teachings of Jesus. He writes to the Corinthians, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness and it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. Before what is sown comes to life, it dies. And now, all of a sudden, you know why God has you planting seeds in the ground to grow your garden. You thought it was the other way around. Oh, yeah, God just... uh, he, he, you know, he used seeds and said, hey, that's a good, that's a good way to, to work out my gospel. No, no. 
Do you see that every time a seed falls to the ground and dies and then out sprouts this plant, this tree, out sprouts this produce, every single time that happens, it ought to be a reminder for you of what Jesus has done and what is coming for you. to give you a foretaste of that bodily resurrection, his promise fulfilled. We just sang standing on the promises. Do you understand that as we're singing that, we can claim this. It is sown perishable. It is raised imperishable. It goes on, he says, then, verse 17, then. So there's a sequence unfolding here, and we see what happens. We who are alive, who are left. That is, those in Christ who are still alive. It says, those will be caught up together. Now, this caught up, this is where we get the word uh, rapture from. That's where the word rapture comes in to play. But you may be surprised to know that rapture is not originally in the Bible, okay? Uh, rapture is a, is a Latin word that was used in the translation for the Latin language. So that's where we get the word rapture. In either case, the emphasis is that, that is being, uh, we're being pointed to is that emphasis of being seized or uh, snatched. You get the picture, right? Raptured, being, being snatched and seized in that moment, taken in that moment. In those days and in our days, you know, it's common to hear of someone's life being taken. You've heard it before, haven't you? You've probably said it. Their life was taken from them. Their life was snatched from them. And in a glorious reversal of things, isn't it wonderful to know that only Jesus has the power to snatch people from certain death and further display his defeat over death, his defeat, his victory over the grave, his victory over hell. And many of you already know this to be true because of the way the Holy Spirit has brought salvation to you, snatching you from the grips of your sin, snatching you from sure destruction, snatching you from the flames of hell itself, flames that were ready to consume you in Jesus' promise fulfilled. We are not snatched from life. Rather, we are snatched to life. Being caught up, being caught up, raptured, is an act that happens to the believer. So who is doing the snatching? Who is doing the, the seizing? It's Jesus himself. It's consistent with Jesus' words about the gathering of the elect in Matthew 24, 31. Jesus says he will appear and will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. It's, it's all Jesus' responsibility here. So Paul's words continue, we'll be together 
We'll be together with them, those, those resurrected saints. We're caught up. We'll be together with them, it says, in the clouds. You may be familiar. Clouds are often associated with the appearance of the Lord throughout Scripture. Daniel prophesies and the gospel writers clarify that the Son of Man will come riding on the clouds. And I'll offer you the promise as we are talking about the promise fulfilled. I'll offer you the promise given to the disciples as they watched Jesus ascend. Acts chapter 1. All right, you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And here's what happens. And when he had said these things, Acts 1, 9 through 11, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so Paul continues in our passage to meet the Lord in the air. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Paul comforts believers with the anticipation of that promise fulfilled. When that day comes, if you have believed on Jesus and his finished work at the cross, then you will be the joyful beneficiary of his promise to gather you unto himself. His promise is that you believers who are alive on that day will be glorified in one unfathomable instant in the twinkling of an eye. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and Paul says, this is a mystery. This is a mystery. I'll add here, regarding the rapture, some have argued that the rapture is a secret event happening before, during, or after a seven-year tribulation. Yet there is nothing secret about this glorious re-entry of the king. You notice trumpet, archangel, the shout. This is a royal procession in which we will take part. And so Hebert writes, the rapture is a tremendous reverberating sound that will encircle the earth. And so we can say it will be a stunning event to every single eye. Enjoy his promise fulfilled. Thirdly, ever be with the Lord. Ever be with the Lord. This comforting word here reminds us of the presence of Christ that we now enjoy. It says we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. It reminds us of what he said in the Great Commission, doesn't it? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But right now, we enjoy the abiding presence of Jesus through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised to be with us, and he has kept his promise. His work in and through us on mission will not fail. I will build my church. 
You see, the Holy Spirit did it. The Holy Spirit continues to do it today. Here, the promise is not that he will be with us, but the promise is that we will be with him. From this point forward, we'll enjoy the unfettered face-to-face fellowship with the risen and glorified Jesus, and this fellowship will have no end. This presence will never diminish. It comforts us further when we consider the fact that this in-gathering of those who believe, it, it assures us that we will escape the coming wrath. Back in chapter 1 and verse 10, you can see it reads, it tells us that we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We'll be united, soul and body. You remember from last week? United, soul and body, with the Lord in the air before he unleashes the sword of his tongue and the flaming fire that will inflict vengeance upon all those who do not obey the gospel. So on that great and terrible day of the Lord, we will be secure, saints. We'll be kept. We'll be preserved. We'll be perfected. We'll be rescued from the flood of God's white hot wrath. We've learned of a flood before. A flood that won't happen again. It'll be different in the future. We learned of that flood in Noah's day, how the ark sheltered and protected them. Well, today, saints, today, unbeliever, would you step into the ark that is Jesus? Would you step into that ark by faith? You will ever be with the Lord by faith in him. Protected, preserves preserved with him. And then fourthly, encourage, encourage with these words. Encourage with these words. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. When we started last week, I reminded you how we ought to use words the way that they were intended to be used, especially when it comes to God's word. May we never be charged with weaponizing words, especially words of scripture, in order to be right, in order to win an argument, giving the same caution. Schreiner writes, he says, we have misused These verses, if all we do is argue about what sort of blueprint is given for the last days. These verses are given as a point of comfort and encouragement to these persecuted Christians who have sincere questions. As we said last week, we have the completed word of God. God has answered every question that he intends for us to have the answers to. Regarding the word, here's what I would tell you. If you know these things and you have those answers that we need, what's the response? Encourage one another with these words. You know, there are, there are brothers and sisters around you that are hurting in various ways. 
And right here, Paul says, a command. A command. This is an imperative for the church. It's not just for the preacher. It's not just for teachers. It's an imperative for the church. You know, there are some folks who have lost loved ones recently. You know what you got? You got so many more, but you got these verses right here that you can give them. I want to remind you about what what the pastor said last week. I want to remind you about what I've been reading about the resurrection and the hope that we have as Christians. There are some of us who have lost loved ones in recent days. Encourage them with these words. Well, well, pastor, my gift's not encouragement. Too bad. Do it. I'm just not good at encouragement. Do it. You are not excused, Christian. Encourage one another with these words. Some have received bad prognoses in recent days. Encourage one another with these words. Some of you, in in a variety of ways, have come to grips with your own mortality like never before. What can we do? Encourage one another with these words. You are naive to simply ignore the fact that there is an end coming. And we must cling to all the hope that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we get to remind one another of that hope. Week after week, sermon after sermon, prayer after prayer, conversation after conversation, repeated over and over again until that glorious day, until that day when Christ is revealed. Encourage one another with these words. Now, we have tread on some wondrous things and maybe, maybe a not enough detail. I don't know. We've tread on some wondrous things in this passage, and these words calm our uncertainty about the future So believers, soak that up. Yes, yes, confidence, comfort, encouraging the resurrected Christ will bring together all those that belong to him, not missing any, and we will escape the coming wrath. But the truth is, however, without the saving knowledge of Christ and the gospel, there's no other conclusion then you ought to be terrified of that day. You ought to be terrified of what is to come. And I love you, unbeliever. I love you, but I hope that the terror that you have regarding the end burns inside of you until you turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. He will save you. He will save you. Now, and as we sing, only trust him, only trust him. The risen Christ gives us the comfort, the certainty that we need regarding the future of all things. Let's pray, respond. I'll be available in the front if you would like to pray with me or counsel with me. Father, we 
are grateful. We're grateful for these beautiful words that remind us of all that is ours in Christ once more. We're thankful for the the fact that you have not abandoned any of your people. You've not left any of your people out, but all will be gathered in when Christ returns. Father, we long for the day. We look around in the world, which is the source of so many fears and uncertainties, so many things that, God, we want answers to. And Father, you you will give those answers in your timing. We pray, Father, that for now we would be able to trust in your word that when the day comes, we would be found faithful. Faithful. Trusting in Jesus, laboring in the kingdom, all that you may be honored in the church and honored among the nations. Father, may we make the name of Jesus known until he comes again. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.